Hi, I am Andrea, and this is Empowered by Darkness, a podcast for anyone seeking to dive deep into all parts of themselves, especially the darker ones, to become empowered by the integration of these into uncovering your unique expression and purpose. Here we shed light on the self-hatred, the resentment, the need for validation and saving, the fear of being loved, the illusion of power and damaging patterns, and many more topics that will challenge you to bloom wherever you are currently planted. Welcome to your life's work, take a seat, and let's get started. Hi, welcome back to the Empowered by Darkness podcast. I am your host, Andrea. Today's episode is all about a topic that has been following me around, perhaps without me looking for it, but in other instances I have researched because I've been curious about this theme that's been showing up in my life starting off the year, but also like towards the tail end of 2023. And that is the topic of self-abandonment. It's funny because when I was preparing this episode, I realized that I actually wrote my first book with a conclusion that was all about self-abandonment. And it's funny because the last words of the book, if you want to check it out, um, the book that I'm referring to is called The Energized Self, A Journey to Interconnected Healing. And you can find that on Amazon, but enough of that. Um, Yes, I conclude the book with a statement about having learned how to not abandon myself after first having experienced literal abandonment by my father. So today's episode, um, really the topic bleeds into many other areas of growth and many topics that deal with how to better take care of ourselves, like, but not just, you know, in terms of like self-care, but in terms of getting to the core of what our limiting beliefs are, where we adopted these, how our relationship was with our caregivers, what narratives we have fed to ourselves throughout our lives that have kept us feeling stuck, feeling powerless. So this topic is kind of like the umbrella that hugs everything else and that is why I thought it was important that I filmed or recorded sorry an episode on the topic itself because I feel like I touch upon it briefly in other episodes but never dedicated one just to talking about self-abandoning. So without further ado, one of the biggest readings that I had, um, meaning like books that I was reading that touched upon this topic recently that stirred my attention and I was like, I have to record on this. It's actually a book and I'm forgetting the author's name, but the name of the book is You Are the One. And I will go ahead and include the link to the book um, on the description of this podcast episode because I think anyone that wants to really, really dive deep into this topic has to check out this book. Um, It talks all about, you know, conditioning um, stemming from childhood 
it talks about attachment it goes into the inner child it's it's a very potent book so i would go ahead and link that um, but one of the quotes in this book and i'm going to read it um, it reads healthy attachments look like learning how to give and receive love without abandoning ourselves now when i read this quote i was like highlight it like two times you know circle it star it because the thing about this statement that is so impactful, at least for me when I read it, I never really understood healthy attachment. <laughs> of course, coming from the fact that I have never really myself identified with having healthy attachment. Uh, I think I've mentioned that on this podcast before that I've always gravitated between uh, more of an anxious and also avoidant attachment. So when I read this quote, I have I had this feeling of like I finally understand what it means to be healthily attached and it was kind of refreshing to see that healthy attachment was not this thing that was super outside of my immediate control and grasp I uh, really the core of being healthily attached is not abandoning yourself being with yourself and you know you might be wondering like okay, I get it, <laughs> you know, not abandoning myself, but what does that even mean? And what does it mean when I am abandoning myself? And we're going to answer those two questions in this episode. So let's dive in. Like I was mentioning at the beginning, uh, my first book ended with a note on self-abandonment. I actually have a couple of articles that I write on Medium, and I swear this is not an episode with me trying to plug everything that I create outside of the podcast, um, but these things just happen to be relevant to today's topic. So on Medium, I have an article, I forget the name of it, but the quote in the article that relates to this uh, reads, my dad has been my teacher of tough but needed lessons. The most important one is the danger of abandoning yourself. I would have never known what it took to take a step back from falling into the precipice had my father not shown me what it took to get there. Finding my way to safe ground was about undoing the way I mimicked him and forsaking myself. And so the last words of my book were really like this promise to myself that I would never leave me. And that was something that I learned the value of early on in life because of the abuse that I suffered at the hands of my dad, like many of you know that have been following the podcast. Now, I want to be completely honest, when I wrote this back in 2021, I, I thought it was a very powerful thing to say at the end of a book, and to a certain extent I believed in it, and I believed that I understood that I was on my way to taking better care of myself and not forsaking the things that were good for me but I was on my way I was nowhere near the understanding that I have now of what this even means but when I wrote it 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 resonated so I just put it down on paper but reading it back it feels like a full circle moment because I can finally and confidently say that I finally understand that even after that, like the year 2022, I was still abandoning myself and I will, you know, go into that later. But for a lot of people, really, self-abandonment starts off the same place that it started off for me 
in childhood. And I hate when people, <laughs> and, and this is a controversial topic, but when people just always, when they talk about self-development and growth and bettering themselves, they, you know, they inevitably bring it back to childhood. And there's always someone that says, like, for the love of God, just leave your parents out of it. Like, your parents are not the cause of all of your problems. And I get that. Um, I think that statement comes from the standpoint of stop making yourself a victim, take ownership of your life, and stop blaming your parents because they were humans and they were going through their own trauma and more than likely they were mimicking that which they were taught and they were mimicking the way that they were treated by their own parents. So I completely understand that standpoint, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's very likely that even the people that are saying this have trauma that stems from their caregivers and that's just you know kind of life like we are impacted by our first relationships no matter if they are your caregivers if they are your siblings if they are people that you were growing up with at a foster home anyone really that was a relationship because a lot of the traumas that we end up carrying within us stem from a relational context so that was a side note. It is kind of expected that our caregivers will end up meeting our first needs, so we come to depend on them for these. But even the most attentive parents can let a particular need of their child slip through the cracks. So for example, you know, they might be going through a rough patch at work, or they might be simply overwhelmed by the piling responsibilities of being a parent. So while the more extreme cases of abuse that are shown through abandoning a child's emotional and physical needs are usually the ones that people turn to when they talk about abandonment, the reality is that it's not necessary for a person's situation to even reach extremes like this one for them to feel abandoned. And the example that I'm thinking of at this time is, think about like a child that grew up attracted to the performing arts and perhaps they had a particular school performance that they were eagerly anticipating their parent to come see and though unusual for this parent this performance they might have come to miss it and though it's a one-time thing the impact of their absence is not measured in how often it occurs but how it's felt by the child. So this could have very well been been a very harsh experience for the child for a number of reasons. Perhaps they were feeling extra vulnerable at the time that it happened. They might have been going through some things at school that were challenging and the experience of not having the support of their parent for this thing that they cared about impacted them taking into account everything else that was happening in their lives. So, many that were abandoned, and remember this doesn't have to mean literally or physically, many don't consciously realize that they were. In fact, if you're listening, you might be thinking that this doesn't apply to you because you don't recall a particular instance in which you were abandoned, either like emotionally, physically, you name it. But 
there is a lot of people that carry the weight of unworthiness and feeling unlovable on their shoulders. And they believe that it's something that they must live with because it appears to have almost always been there, at least since they can recall. And I know that I have felt this way. And I have been one of those people that didn't have a particular experience that I could link it back to. Even if I was physically abandoned and I knew that my father left the family when I was 15, um, to be honest with you, I didn't actually call that abandonment until years later and I was looking at all of these things that I'm talking about on the podcast and I realized, oh, I was, I was abandoned by my caregiver. This wasn't normal that he just decided to go live somewhere else when I was still having needs that needed to be met. So, you know, as adults later on in life, we come to repeat patterns that we view earlier in our lives because they are familiar. Whether that's choosing connections that mimic the unreliability of our caregivers, or whether that be criticizing ourselves continuously and self-harming through substances or dangerous habits like starving ourselves or just having a very unhealthy connection with food. It could also be continuously planting ourselves in unsafe environments or not speaking up for ourselves and letting others decide what we choose for our lives. Or it could be hiding integral parts of who we are to fit in. What all of these have in common is the threat of abandoning the self. And honestly, how can we know how to be there for ourselves when most of us have never had a solid mental image of what it looks like to have this based on our upbringings? And most upbringings, especially, I want to know, in in Black, Asian, and Hispanic households, they encourage being self-sacrificial for the greater good of the family, especially when it relates to economically thriving. So I, I recognize that there are many forces at play, and I grew up in a family that encouraged self-sacrificing. To this day, it's, it's a value that I am still working through because I recognize that that value has had a survival benefit for my family, for me, to be able to achieve what I have today, coming from, you know, um, a family that migrated from a different country. But at one point, one has to come to evaluate what these values are actually contributing now that we are out of the peril of of living like I was at the time we were living in poverty in a different country and it was necessary to self-sacrifice for a while to be able to escape that peril and have a better life economically. But that value does not sustain itself over time when it's hurting ourselves once we are now safe economically. But we still have that mentality that we need to self-sacrifice with our physical health, with our mental health. And 
any other aspect that is more of a detriment than a benefit. So a lot of the time self-abandonment ends up becoming what I like to call and what many um, psychologists call a learned behavior because we use it to try to cope with unhealthy or dysfunctional dynamics in the way we were raised. I know that in my upbringing, and I've shared on the podcast before about this, I lived in a loving home, but a lot of the times it was also unpredictable and chaotic, even abusive. So I ended up finding ways to adapt to these changes over the passage of time. And one of the ways that I found to do this was suppressing my true self, which had always been quite sensitive and in touch with emotions. And I instead became like a kind of chameleon that would adapt to whatever role would keep the peace. So I was very conflict avoidant, which would later explain my people-pleasing tendencies and that happened in my teen years and my adult years. But what is key to note about this experience is that by suppressing my true self, I abandoned a core need of mine. I let go of my need to express more of my emotionality and my creativity. Since this is a part of me, and it's quite a big part, (laughs) hence the podcast that I'm creating here for all of you, It's quite emotional, it's quite vulnerable, and it makes me very happy. And for a long time, I could not envision myself getting in front of this mic and talking about these things openly. So this big part of me was directly critiqued by my father, criticized by my father, and and so, you know, I ended up, when things at home got difficult, I started to see what I could turn my identity into if it, if it was going to stop being this identity of, of being a deep feeler and, and sensitive and really pulled to express. I had to look at something else to pursue and and make kind of my new way of living life to make sense of life. So what I ended up pursuing was what I saw others around me prioritizing and treating like a path to worthiness and survival, which is how much they could accomplish in school and later in the workforce. So needs continue to be cast aside and worthiness continued to be kept at bay for as long as I didn't yet have what I'd set out to achieve. If this pattern sounds familiar, I want you to know that it doesn't have to always be this way. In fact, it can stop being this way today because this pattern is a very tiring one and eventually it actually leaves you drained to your core, asking yourself the existential question of why you just gave so much of yourself to an ideal that wasn't even yours to begin with. And many people today are experiencing self-abandonment. And like I mentioned earlier, they have no idea that they are doing it. 
And I really believe that it is abandoning ourselves that leads to graver issues of the mind and the emotions like depression, low self-esteem, low self-worth, anxiety, unfulfilling relationships. So while adapting by letting go of your authentic needs earlier on in life could have been a survival mechanism, it's no longer helpful. In fact, it's hindering you more than it's aiding you. If you felt like me, it sometimes suffocates you and you feel like you're moving, but your movement is kind of aimless and heavy. And this is because a solid relationship with yourself is missing. So in the second part of this podcast episode, I wanted to talk about what the opposite of self-abandonment is and how it looks like. For me, personally, the opposite of self-abandonment is self-reverence. And I hate that it almost seems like a radical statement in today's society to ask you to consider revering yourself. And because many people really associate this word with worshipping, and we know that many religious notes can be stirred up by this word, but it's not blasphemous or selfish to talk about admiring and, yes, revering yourself. After all, we take our admiration and, frankly, obsession with the lives of others outside of ourselves to very big extremes sometimes. You could just take our societal need to keep up with public figures whose eventful lives end up creating this dissonance within us instead of aiding us in any way. And they end up making more entrenched needs within us, the need for having what they have, because a lot of the times that is the reason why we seek to revert and to explore the lives of others and ignore our own life in the process. So if we can learn to keep up that closely with strangers and sometimes even with relationships in our lives that we come to prioritize over our own relationship with ourselves, why can't we do the same for us? We are the ones that are the observers, the perceivers of these other individuals in our lives and therefore we do hold the upper hand of being able to change our perception change where we are looking daily this will not be the episode that breaks down how to tune into yourself because i have uploaded others on the podcast that can help provide more detail on that front and i'll go ahead and link them on this episode's description, but I will talk about what I mean by self-reverence a little bit more. To be here this moment, listening to this episode, and considering opening your heart up to what living a life of admiration for yourself can mean, is already the beginning of self-reverence. You are willing to step outside of the box that you've comfortably built around your life, to make sense of what you can aspire to, how much you can reveal about yourself, and the inner dialogue you can count on that's informing your thoughts about you. This box holds all of these facets, and many people, 
will never question the safety of this box. In fact, they'll only continue to decorate it for the rest of their lives, making it shiny to those around them that are also building their own boxes to fake security and success, while deep inside they feel vacant and they feel abandoned. And it sounds harsh, I know. I mean, when I, when I was thinking about saying this, I was like, it sounds a little bit harsh. But unfortunately, that is the reality that we live in. And the reason why, as I've said in other episodes, many escape to destructive ways of coping with the torture of their personal safe boxes, meaning that they are so tortured by box this box that they've built around them to hide really what they want to aspire to, what they want to reveal about themselves, how they want to start changing their inner dialogue. They want they build this box to hide all of that truth and they adorn it so it can seem acceptable to others and it's literally suffocating them. But there comes a time and it's almost always when you need it to occur for your specific path that you first realize you're inside a box that makes no sense for the voice within that has different thoughts and aspirations and needs to the ones that it's showing to the world. And so this awareness creates a discomfort that starts to catalyze change. But it's an uncomfortable process and many will experience the first pangs of doubt and fear about what the people around them will think if they begin to set boundaries or speak their truth and they retreat back into their comfortable container and they never come out again. And that's very sad and when I really think about it, it makes me even more sad because those people that never come out again from their box we're missing out on their unique light and their unique voice. We're missing out on the way that they can stir the direction of our society in a more healing path, in a more compassionate and interconnected path that is not so isolated and debilitating for people that are suffering in silence from feeling misunderstood from feeling like their life has no meaning, that they have no purpose, it's disheartening. If more people stepped outside of their box, these difficult emotions, these difficult thoughts would exist much less, in my opinion. So these people, they end up missing the opportunity to reclaim themselves, to finally be the ones that say, I'm going to stop the cycle of abandonment. And by cycle, I mean the collective cycle, but more often than not, the family cycle. Because the reality is that self-abandonment often runs across generations in our family. We learn from our parents how to self-abandon, and our parents learn from their parents how to do it. So what do we do then? What's the opposite of this? Well, you must stand firm outside of your box of beliefs and rewards that are reaped from these thoughts. 
And by rewards, I mean, for example, think about having a relationship. A relationship can be a reward, but if it's born from the self-abandoning belief of, I'm not good enough, it will hardly ever be the highest possible reward for your authentic truth. Because the person you are with is probably a mirror of the belief that you don't deserve someone better. So essentially, you're settling, but for a heart that has closed itself off to being there for itself, this relationship can feel like a reward. It's a reward because it's better than being, quote-unquote, alone. It's kind of like being in an emotional desert and having the first drop of love. So it doesn't matter if the drop is a distortion. You'll hold on to it for dear life either way because you're in an emotional drought. You've spent years pouring into everything and everyone else but you, aka you have abandoned yourself. So if you stand firmly outside of the box, just long enough to notice that this is a disservice to yourself. And I'm not talking only about love, that was just an example that I came up with. But this can cover your career, your friendships, your finances, your personal expression. If you can stand firmly outside of the box that spans all of these aspects of your life, you can begin to see how it serves you more to stay outside of it and figure out how you can start being there for yourself. And it serves you to be in, in the same container that has birthed many uncomfortable emotions for you that you have avoided through pathways that have only led you to feel more lost and more confused about what you are meant to do on your path. And for many of us, including myself, this will be our first time trying this out. <laughs> what I've learned is to release the need to have a prototype for how to stop abandoning yourself. I don't even think that exists. That's why you won't hear me tell you these are the steps that I would take because I don't think any one path looks the same to the other. Frankly, doing this work is already stressful enough and it cracks you open in ways that I don't think you need the added tension of feeling like you must follow. A specific way to stop self-abandoning and I find that when you have this prescribed method that you give to others it takes longer for them to even get started because it feels dreadful to begin if the method is long it's dreadful to begin taking the first step and feeling like you still have so much to go through to get to the goal of not being able to self-abandon anymore because the reality is, and this comes with everything when you talk about healing, if you're trying to escape self-abandonment, you might be able to get to a very healthy spot of catering more to your needs, but there will always come situations in life that tempt that resolution. And what I mean by this is you might come to a spot in which you are outspoken about what you need, you set boundaries, you take care of yourself, but a life crisis happens and it challenges the resolution that you have to care for you. 
and you start perhaps neglecting your health or neglecting your emotional stability, it happens. The point is not perfection, it is awareness and commitment. So what I will recommend is that you do some reflecting on your life up until this point. Perhaps take out a sheet of paper, split it into different sections. Sections like family, career, relationships, personal expression. And jot down some things that are currently making you feel uncomfortable in each of these areas. That shouldn't be too hard, right? We are usually quite good at pinpointing the things in our life that feel off because they're not easy to ignore. But after you've done this comes the important part, the meat of the exercise. So I want you to write down Maybe to start off one or two sentences for each category where you have, you know, written down a couple bullet points of things that feel uncomfortable and off. I want you to write down for each bullet point in each category, write down how you are contributing to the discomfort. And let me share an example from my life to make this more tangible. So... When talking about personal expression, I remember jotting down my discomfort with being treated like the therapist friend by many of my close relationships at the time. It's funny because I'm actually studying to be a therapist, so it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, but, you know, this time around I will be charging for my services. It won't be free, as I was giving them back then. But, jokes aside, but when I jotted down that thing that made me uncomfortable, that I was being used by my friends as their personal therapist, I felt upset that I didn't have the opportunity to share more of what was happening for me. I was always the container that held safe space for other people, but I felt like no one was holding that space for me. And I like this example because it's quite obvious the way that I'm self-abandoning. But for the life of me, I could not figure it out for the longest time when I was stuck in the situation. Because I was giving and giving and then I was feeling resentful that I didn't get back what I put out. And I would, in turn, it felt like that must have meant that I wasn't worthy of receiving more. And this happens to a lot of people. You, you think it makes sense, it's easy to put together, you know, the way that I'm doing things wrong. But when you're in the situation, it becomes about you, especially if you have a pattern of internalizing discomfort and things going wrong in your life. And I definitely had a pattern coming from the childhood that I always talk about on the podcast that was... One in which everything that was going wrong in my childhood, I would internalize, you know, with the mind of a 10-year-old, 11-year-old. I internalized what was going wrong as being something that I did, that I caused. So that logic followed to this example, and I felt that I wasn't worthy of receiving more. I, I would tell myself things like, oh, I'm just 
you know, I'm not doing very interesting things like my friends. So, you know, what kind of issues am I even wrestling with that I would bring up? And I consoled myself saying things like, well, you know, my life's quite boring. I don't mind giving advice. It's a nice distraction. When in reality, it was eating away at my insights and I felt like I couldn't handle it anymore after a while. I had abandoned myself by failing to set clear boundaries with these people who weren't really my friends, but just seeking a kind of transactional relationship. And the irony was that they weren't even giving anything in return. But I had abandoned myself by telling myself a convincing story that defended the way that I was seemingly being taken advantage of. And this is what I mean by jot down how you are contributing to those things that bring you discomfort in your life. Because more often than not, you have some element of responsibility in them. And I don't mean responsibility for other people's actions. Let me make that clear. That's a very strong distinction. Let's say that one thing that brought you discomfort was having a boss that made offensive comments. You're in no way responsible for your boss's lack of emotional intelligence, but you are responsible for your own excusing of their actions or telling yourself a different story, like you're not worthy of one day leaving the abusive work environment that you're in, or saying that the comments aren't really that bad, even when they're hurting you and they are threatening the safety that you feel and that you're entitled to in your workplace. Okay. So give this exercise a try and do let me know if it helps you. I think it will. It, it's one that I have done many times over the years and I keep coming back to it. So to conclude, I didn't want to make this a very long episode because I've been having a habit of uploading some pretty long ones. I wanted to end with this. No one is coming to rescue us. That is both a frightening and a liberating statement. And growing up in an unstable home environment, I came to desire, deep down at the very core of my being, to be saved one day from the ugly remnants of the lifestyle that one of my parents created. And some of those remnants were a very deeply ingrained lack of self-worth and a very strong sense of loneliness. Like I just didn't fit in with the world. And I really came to desire saving. At one point, the desire for saving was very strong when it came to a partner doing that saving. And that is another form of self-abandonment. Because you're essentially telling yourself that you will not be fine unless someone chooses you. And let's say hypothetically that I was chosen. Would I have felt saved from the scary remnants of my past? The answer is probably no. Because you and I both know that people are amazing containers. But they hardly ever fully blur the deepest parts of ourselves that still need healing, tenderness, compassion, and understanding.
all of these are things that are clamoring for us to finally give them after years of looking outwardly, searching with no avail for the healing balm that only we can provide to ourselves. So yes, no one is really coming to save you, but that just means that you have got the power in you to show up for yourself, to be that miraculous saving grace. And of course, you don't have to go at it alone. I haven't. Seek support, whether that be spiritual, therapeutic, from friends and family, from a loving partner. That's not your only solution, because that's unfair to them. But yeah, seek support. It is abundant if you open yourself up to believing that it is. Because it's another distorted story. When you abandon yourself, you tell yourself that you're completely alone. And you're not. There are many people that love you, that want to help you, if you finally choose to help yourself. I have made it my mission <laughs> that the year 2024 will be one of finally coming home to all parts of myself and I will finally cut the self-abandonment at its root choosing myself over and over again admiring the pain that is still fresh even though it's decades old and choosing to release it when the time feels right there's no rush that's the beauty of choosing not to self-abandon you stop being on a made-up timeline that was never yours to begin with just feel how empowering this intention is. The empowerment is at your grasp and it solely comes from within with a change in perception and heart. No one is too broken or too far gone to come into alignment with their truth, with their yearning self. You, my listener, are incredibly expansive. You are a miracle because you, at any point in your life, have the capacity to choose different and see how different can take you to live the existence of your wildest dreams. You just have to take the first steps, even if your feet tremble a little. <laughs> I know that mine have trembled like earthquakes um, at times and I have doubted, but... I believed in myself and that is the most powerful way to not self-abandon. I believe in you. You got this. Thanks for tuning in today. I will talk to you guys on the next episode. Sending you all of my love. Bye. There is no right time to begin working on the parts of ourselves we may have neglected for the majority of our lives. If you're here, it is for a reason. I am so proud of you for asking the tough questions and delving into what comes of these. May you find the deepest healing and transformation on this path. Thank you.